If you're one of the people that love this show, make sure you go over to holyfullproductions.com and check out our home. You can read articles. You can see my personal journals straight out of the typewriter. You can see the weekly link roundup of all the interesting things I run across. You can see drawings. You can see books recommended for the book club. Or if you're like me and you like things simple, you can just have it sent right to your inbox by signing up for the newsletter, which goes out almost every day. And of course, you can help support this show through either monthly subscriptions or generous one-time donations, all at hoyfulproductions.com. It's kind of like me, you know, it's like going to work and then getting off work, going straight to the studio and like then going to sleep and then, you know, same thing every day, but just have no time to like relax. There's like this thought process that I lack sometimes of realizing, oh, that's right. I am a human being. <laughs> Need sleep. <laughs> <laughs> how are you, my friend? I'm doing well. How are you? Good. I don't even remember the last time I've seen you. I th- well, I think I was talking to somebody last night. And they were saying the last time they saw you was probably the Stratus show in January. I think that was probably the last time I saw you. I am I'm a hermit now, I guess. <laughs> I'm getting there. <laughs> it's easy to do as you get older, isn't it? You know, I was just thinking about that. Like the other day, <clears throat> I used to have like a lot more energy, but then again, it's probably because I'm working at FedEx and stuff while I'm home. But um yeah, my energy level is just like dropping. I'm like, do I need more vitamins or <laughs> How are you dealing with that when you're on tour? I can't imagine that must be even more exhausting. Um, it is, but I mean, when you're out there, you're kind of like in this ocean of chaos, so you don't really have time to think about things. You just kind of like go with it because when you're home, you know, it's you just you get sucked into your everyday normal life, I guess. Mm. So you kind of like have that um, thing to always remind you, like you're home. You have all these distractions or whatever but when you're out there you just there's nothing so you're just kind of left to yourself and like time doesn't really exist (laughs) (laughs) for the listeners that don't know you're in power man 5000 are you playing to on on tours you're about to leave for tour now how many people a night are usually playing to um well actually i'm not right at this moment i'm not in power man i'm in it but i i'm teching for 311 Mm. So it's a different beast, I guess. But um, when I was on tour with them, it was it was a lot of people. I've never really played like in front of that many people. Um, we did like this thing in Madison where it was in front of the city hall building, and it was a lot of people. Kind of overwhelming, but um, definitely humbling, though. Two questions that come to me out of that is: first of all, what is it like to go from that? to come home and be back to working at FedEx? Uh, the way I always tell people, it's like, you know, you, with Superman, because he was always one of my favorite comics. Um, you, When you're out there, you kind of have your like Superman cape on and you're like a different person. And then when you come home, you're Clark Kent. But it's, it's just like everyone explains it as like on a fast moving train and then the train stops after going like, you know, thousand miles an hour. You're just kind of left to yourself going like, what just happened? It's definitely a little bit of, uh, I don't want to say depression because that's such a strong word, but there's some depression tendencies because it's almost like you're out there and your people come up to you like, man, your, you know, your songs helped me through a lot of stuff. And then you come home and, you know, you're just back to your daily work. But you know, after a while you find ways to, Inter- like bring that from the road to your work. So like when P- I'm at FedEx delivery and people are like, oh, thank you so much for my package or whatever. And it's like you find new ways to like, like I said, bring that from out there here. So it's almost like you're being appreciative here as well. Yeah. I think people seem to have this perception that if you are in a band and you're out there playing in front of lots of people, that that means you're loaded and that you don't come home and have to still have a job. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that's true. I mean, um, that even, you know, went back to like the strata days where like people thought we were making a lot of money because we were, you know, traveling in a bus or whatever. But in reality, we were all struggling. Like we'd come home and, you know, looking back now, it's like, man, we should have 
had day jobs as well, but you know, you're, we were young and didn't know and thought that's what you do is you, you go on tour and you come home and your whole purpose is to like write music and stuff, but we're not loaded. I mean, I play in Power Man, I tech for 311 and I work at FedEx. <laughs> <laughs> and when you, when you've been out there, obviously you're, you're meeting tons of bands and stuff. I mean, what do you think the percentages of like in reality for people listening, how many musicians out there touring are actually just blue collar musicians that are just out there working and go home to jobs that are not Motley Crue or something like that. that are just loaded for life. It's hard to like put a, a number to it, but probably more than you'd think. Like one of my favorite bands, uh, Built to Spill. I know that three of those guys, <laughs> at least one of them works at a, like a tire and oil place. Mm-hmm. It's one of my favorite bands, but that's what he does. Yeah. You know, they've been around for decades. Yeah. I mean, I've, I've talked to a lot of bands out there and they're like, yeah, my home job, I do this. I'm like, wait, you, you have a job? <laughs> that's crazy. <laughs> but yeah, the whole view of it's kind of skewed because I mean, people only know what they see is when you're like up there on stage or in music videos or, you know, just doing that. I hate this word, but the quote unquote rock star life. And uh, it's it's all for show. It's all smoke and mirrors. I mean, yeah, I hate to break that bubble, but I mean, granted, there are some people who make enough money what they with what they do that they can come home and not have to work in between tours. Like there was a moment when I got off the road at three eleven, and I was like, oh man, I could not work for like two weeks. <laughs> but I mean, then you're like dipping into what you made, and plus living in the Bay Area, it's like you know that you know rents like it's insane so you think that i mean as long as i've known you i've always i've always seen you as a very grounded person mm-hmm. even all the experiences that you've had all of your highs i don't really in my perception i haven't really seen it alter you in the sense that you've always been grounded how did you maintain that i mean obviously there were certain points especially like in in my view where you know with strata like it looked like things were going one direction or it's like you're going straight to the sky uh how did you stay grounded through all of that and the ups and the downs honestly my friends i mean like hanging out with like you and everyone else it's like like no one like it's the friends that like put you on a pedestal like that's where it's like okay then i could see where you kind of get big-headed but like like i love the connection that we all have like when we grew up together and like at the coffee shop just hanging out like that that was a strong moment in my life because it was just a bunch of like, we were just kids like hanging out, talking about random things and laughing and wasting lots of time, wasting, (laughs) drinking a lot of coffee. (laughs) But I mean, that was the thing, right? It was like, what are we doing tonight? It's like, let's go to the coffee shop and just hang out. And like, to me that, that was when I really started to like grow up because I was the youngest, I think out of all you guys. And you know, I came in and it was just such a chill, relaxing, you know, vibe. And like, you know, half my other friends from high school were like out at parties and like drinking every night. And ours was like more casual, laid back, just having conversation over coffee. And, you know, that's stuff I grew up with my parents. It's like they would have friends over and they would have coffee or like cake or whatever, like and just kind of hang out and talk around the table. So kind of like reminisce that a little bit. But Plus, a lot of my the the musicians that I like are pretty, you know, like David Gilmore, for example. Like he's super humble. You wouldn't think he's for being what he is. You know, he's um, when you watch him in interviews, he's doesn't come off cocky or like a rock star at all. And then a buddy of mine, he plays in Bush, named Chris Trainer. He's like one of the most humble guys for from what he's been through. I mean, he's played in Helmet. Um, he had a band back in the day. I forgot what it was called, but now he's in Bush. But, you know, it's just, you hang out with the right people and they kind of ground you. And and if if you kind of like, feel like your head's kind of floating into the cloud a little bit, they'll pull you back down. Like, that's a good friend. Someone who's like, hey, you know, you might want to, they, they kind of check you, you know? Right. You know, it's interesting you bring up David Gilmore because, yeah, correct me if I'm wrong, if I'm remembering this right or not, but he's, so originally Pink Floyd had um, God, what was the guy's name? Sid Barrett. Mm-hmm. Sid Barrett was originally the vocalist and the guitarist, lead guitarist. Right. And then he lost his mind. Mm-hmm. Um, so they brought in David Gilmore. He was their tech. Was he their guitar tech? 
That I don't know. I know, I know they that you know when Sid went kind of AWOL, they brought in Gilmore and Gilmore kind of replaced him. But I, I, yeah, I don't know about I don't know about the the text thing. I don't know if if I read about that. The reason uh, the reason I asked that is I wonder if, like for example, there has to be a huge difference for you from being on stage playing in Power Man or um, in Strata as well, and. Uh, what was Beta State? I almost forgot the name of the other band you were in. Oh, yeah, yeah. Right um, and then being a tech. There's got to be a huge difference there. But also, like you said, you know, the way your friends humble you do, do you think that that experience humbles you as well? Absolutely. I mean, because, you know, when I was playing in Power Man, it's, it's, it was such a, a different vibe than anything I've been in because, because of the nature of the, how big the band was or is, I guess. It kind of just... Uh, going from that and then like behind scenes, which I'm like, I'm pretty like quiet off stage, but on stage, I kind of like turn to a different, it's like a different persona, I guess, but it's more emotional, like coming out. But yeah, it's definitely humbling because now you're like behind scenes, you're doing work for somebody and um, helping them out. But it's also, you get that gratitude of like, you're still a part of the show because you're the one thing I've always respected were, guitar techs, you know, drum techs, whatever, even back in the day, because they kind of make the show happen. I mean, I'm not taking anything. I don't want to take anything away from the musicians because, you know, they do what they do and they're great. But as a tech, it's like you're setting everything up. You're getting everything ready for them. You're basically, uh, what's that? Like when you're a golfer and then you have the guy with you. Caddy. Caddy, Caddy. You're like a caddy to the guitarist. Yeah, can you maybe for people who are listening that don't really understand what a guitar tech is, maybe they only see it as the guy who comes out before the show starts and mm-hmm. plays plays a couple riffs and uh, <laughs> <laughs> on stage and then leaves. I mean, can you explain actually what being a guitar tech is like? What, is, what are you actually doing? Sure. Uh, well, we wake up really early and um, you get to the venue. You pull everything out of the trailer, set everything up. You know, make sure. Amps working, pedals are working, plug everything in, change strings if you have to on the guitar, kind of clean up the guitar a little bit from the night before. And then the artist comes in and they kind of just basically walk in and just put the guitar on, start playing. They do a couple songs. They go, oh, this is great. Sounds good. Or like, hey, you know, maybe turn the bass down or whatever, or this pedal sounds weird. But it's pretty much just setting everything up. So all the artist has to do is come in and focus on their craft which is plain. Which means you have to understand the equipment in and out, I assume, right? To be able to problem solve for things like that. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, Tim, when I first started teching for Tim, I mean, it was a nice transition because he's kind of like me as a guitar player in the sense where he's got like a big pedal board. Um, he doesn't use Axe effects or any of those like random modeling things. But um, it's a very basic setup. Two heads, two caps kind of thing. Um, so it was a nice transition. And um, the only thing that worried me a little bit was he has two pedal boards. He has this one called like a party board, which is like for like random things or whatever. But like, it looked like hieroglyphics because I couldn't understand like what plugs into what. Because it was like, <laughs> I was like, where, where's the input? <laughs> you know, where it's like, oh, here's a tuner. Plug into that. And then you have your out, which is the last pedal. But his was like insane. But when he showed it to me, I was like, oh, that's it. <laughs> So when, when you come in, they have to basically train you on, on what they're doing, what, what they're using, what sounds they're making, or did they expect you to come in knowing that stuff already? No, they, they train you. They kind of like walk you through a couple of things. Um, luckily, I, when I came in, his um, original guitar tech, Donnie, uh, kind of showed me around. Because I had, I think we did, we did like three dates and two of the dates he was with us. And then the last day, which is the biggest day for them, it was called 311 Day. They do it like every, every year on 311 but that's when he left me <laughs> so i was like <laughs> by myself at uh it was the park theater in vegas and i've never smoked so many cigarettes in my life <laughs> i was so nervous but uh but tim was really really comforting and he was like oh don't remember me fine you know you, you, it's easy it was it was it was really chill and the, the crew that i work with um they're all really nice so that helped out it's it's when you have kind of like some weirdness with a, a crew member or something like that where, and you're coming into something that's theirs. And I mean, 311 has been around forever. So 
I'm coming into like, you know, a new thing. Whereas with Power Man, I came in as a guitar player. So it's like, I have some leeway to kind of like play kind of the way I want to play. Right. But as a tech, you know, it's not like you could come in and be like, hey man, you should use this guitar. Like, you know, you should use this amp. Like, why are you using that one? You know, it's like, you don't really have that kind of free range. Yeah, what's that relationship like between the tech, um, both since you've been on both sides, what's that relationship like between the tech and the and the artist? Personally or just in general? Personally. Personally, uh, well, Tim and I have a good relationship. He, super chill guy, another one of those people who are like really humble, down to earth for as, as big as they are. I mean, like all those guys, like I've, you know, we've driven in a van to the airport together and just seeing them all connect and talk and like the way they treat us, the crew, it's, it's a very, it's a very family tight knit. But I think it's important to like have a good relationship with your tech because they're basically like, I, like we talked about before, they're your caddy. They're, they're helping you out. And, you know, it's like you work together. And like when we had, when I had Sam as a tech and David Knapp, you remember them? Mm-hmm. Of course. Yeah. Super nice. They were our friends. So we brought them out. Well, that's always, you know, the weird thing too, is if you bring a friend out, it's like, you got to kind of have that, like when it's this time to this time, it's like kind of businessy. Right. Um, but we never had that. Like, it was just like, like I've worked for some people, I, I don't want to say their name, but like they would kind of get really aggressive and um, kind of like, what the fuck kind of thing. I'm sorry, can you swear in here? Yeah, of course. <laughs> Uh, yeah, they're, you know, just like, what the hell's going on, blah, blah. And, but to me, I know things happen. I know sometimes things aren't going to work out pedal wise or whatever, but it's just a show. It's just like, you know, so some people take it a little too seriously, which is fine. But I think the most important thing is just to go up there and have fun. And if, you know, something happens, then it happens. I mean, that just shows people that you're human and, you know, yeah, I imagine as a tech, the you know something going wrong. There's got to be a sense of panic that comes along with that as well, though, right? Uh, uh, it's more like the word anxiety. <laughs> <laughs> and how do you deal with that? I mean, that's like a constant state of anxiety. You find the door and you run. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, you just you gotta like just be calm. Like you know, uh, it's a little you're a little on edge, but I mean the worst thing you can do is freak out because if the the guitarist or whoever you're working for sees you freak out, then they're going to freak out. And it's just like, it's like a, a baby. If a baby falls, you don't like go, Oh my God, and just freak out. And like, you just kind of, you know, go up to it and, you know, hold it and wait for it to stop crying. So you're, you're in the, you're in the bus with them, right? No, the, we're, I'm in the crew bus with them. With Power Man, we were, we were in a bus together. So when you're going back in, are you... <laughs> Other than smoking cigarettes, are you are you meditating or something to just get yourself <laughs> into some sort of centered state of mind to keep going? Uh, yeah, I'm trying to. I'm trying to like just be like it's okay, it's fine. You know, you've you've done other things that are just as stressful, and then I'm like, wait, I haven't. <laughs> this is pretty stressful. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, it's about like we talked about in the beginning. It's surrounding yourself with good people and a lot of people in that crew were really nice, really good people. And they all checked on me like, Hey man, you okay? Like you good. It's like, yeah, I'm good. Got, you know, and they're like, if you need anything, we're here. So I was like, okay, good. That's good. We're talking about the differences between being a tech and being the artist. But then also there's a huge, you got to be a huge difference between when you were doing stuff in strata and when you're in doing stuff in power man, because uh, one was your band. The other mm-hmm. one, you were brought into the band. Right. What's that experience like? Um, well, that, dude, that's the thing too. Is well, first of all, so I I started teching for Power Man, and that's how I got in the band was because the guitar player left, and Spider was like, "Hey, how well do you know these songs? Because we have a show in like I think it was like a month or something." I was like, "Well, I mean, I've seen you guys play them every night, and probably figure them out." Um, so that's how I got into that, but that was the thing too. Is like with Strata because it was our own thing. It was like I was coming up with the guitar parts, whereas joining Power Man, there were parts that were already written. But getting in Power Man was probably like one of the best things, I think, for me, because I learned so much from Spider. I remember one time I put Fear on in the van and he was like, you like Fear? I was like, yeah. It's like, oh, 
So we kind of right there was like instant connection with that, you know, background of music. It was where Strata was so kind of more emotional, I guess, mm-hmm. with the, you know, the self-title was a little bit like more, I don't want to say emo, new metal, whatever, but it was just more built on emotion. Whereas Power Man is more just like balls out, like, you know, fun time rocking, just, you know, big, loud. But I learned how to be a better performer from him. Uh, I was never into like wardrobes. I never was into like dressing up or, you know, we would go out with Strata, we'd go out in like black shirts and like whatever we, whatever we were wearing that day, that's what we wore on stage. But with Power Man, it's like, he had these like jackets and like shirts and, you know, and, and the hair like, and all that. And the hair, yeah. And I was like, wait, what? What's, what's going on? You want me to wear that jacket? And I used to give him so much shit about that jacket. There's this green jacket. Uh, but like, the thing is, I sweat a lot when I play. And um, like, the first three, there's like three songs back to back that were just slamming. And uh, like, my, my, um, where my arm is, it would always get caught in the guitar and stuff. So I'd be like freaking out. So like, after the third song, I would just like rip it off and. <laughs> <laughs> oh, to my my friend Kevin, who was help teching for us, um, and he'd always make fun of me, and then we'd like go back and forth and joke with the jacket and everything. And but yeah, I, like I said, I learned how to like be more comfortable on stage and having this sort of like persona. I mean, it is when you go up on stage, you are entertaining. You're an entertainer. There are some bands that go up there and just kind of like do their thing, and that's great. But like when you bridge the when you're into it and you have this show it just makes everything like i get it now if that makes sense when we were first talking and i said two things that brings me back to something i know that you from my personal experience with you i know that you used to have horrible horrible stage fright do you still i do at some points there was um it was towards the end of the Paraman run last year. We were, I forgot what venue it was. I think we were in Colorado. But we'd always like, before we get on stage, we'd come together and kind of do this like knock thing. And um, I remember we were standing in this like kitchen area and I just started to get anxiety and I was like, oh shit. And um, I kind of like got myself out of it. And then we were on stage and it hit me again. And it kind of like took me out of that, that moment. You know, when you're on stage, you're like, it's a different experience, I guess. But like, I kind of came to and was like, oh shit, I'm on stage. Oh my God, there's a guitar in my hand. Like, there's people staring at me. You know, it's, you just kind of close your eyes and get back into it. But it's, it's still, you know, I still get anxiety here and there. I want to go into that even deeper. Like, how do you, I, as someone who's never really done anything on stage, how do you even begin to deal with that? Like, especially that experience, like you said, like, I'm on stage, I'm holding the guitar, people are looking at me. What's going on in your head? When, when you manage that, how do you even get through that? Um, well, it's just from like years of, you know, because back in 2006 when Strata recorded in England, I had, at the time, I didn't know what it was, but it was a full blown panic attack. And, uh, you know, I didn't know what it was. I, I, we got home from England and I didn't leave the house for like a month, I think, or something like that. Like I was just, I didn't know what, I didn't want to talk to anybody. I didn't, I didn't, I thought I was dying, you know? And, um, Eventually, I saw a therapist and everything, and it's like, oh yeah, it's you know general anxiety or whatever. So I learned coping mechanisms with that, like breathing techniques and ways to kind of ground yourself, like looking around and you know being making yourself be aware of the present. Can you explain like some of those techniques to us? Absolutely. Um, so there's the one of the most common is the breathing technique where you if you feel anxiety coming on, you kind of just take a as big as a breath you can through your nose fill your lungs up with air, hold it for like five seconds, like five kind of slow seconds. And then you blow out slowly through your mouth and you do that five times. I don't know how it works, but it just, it kills the anxiety. And can you do that on stage? Is that something you do on stage if you feel that? Um, yeah, but I only get like half a breath in until I realize I got to hit the next chord. <laughs> yeah, and then anxiety kicks in even more. <laughs> you got to be managing like 15 things in your head at the same time, right? Yeah, which is fine because I do that in my daily life anyways. It's like, you know, FedEx, studio, and then it's like all that stuff. But I just kind of train myself to like, no, it's not the end all be all kind of thing. It's it's just a moment. It's It's happening. Let it happen. Don't overthink it. And then move on. 
So the acceptance is a huge part of it. Acceptance is a huge part. If you fight it, then it only gets worse because it's just what anxiety is from what I've learned is it's, um, it could be multiple things, but like for me, it's, they call it mental distortion where you have one thought and then it eventually just snowballs into this massive like panic. And that's where you, your brain just like freaks out and you have a full blown, you know, anxiety attack. But I've never been like a, like a, super positive, like everything's great, but kind of person. But you just have to tell yourself that like, it's, you know, it is what it is. It's happening. You know, it'll be over in a second. And um, if it happens a lot, then you probably need to figure out a way to like change your lifestyle, maybe diet or, you know, people you hang out with or if there's a stressful environment or whatever. It's, you know, you just kind of, I think that's what shaped me as a person today, I think, is like the anxiety. I, I try to spin that in a positive because to me, when I get anxiety, it's like, oh, I shouldn't be here. I need to go this way kind of thing, you know? Use it as kind of like it has a message for you. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's like a guy. It's like the universe is like, like, hey, you know, you need to change something about this, this moment. I had the same experience in the sense that uh, you brought up diet. Mm-hmm. Part of the diet was feeding into my anxiety too. For me, uh, I'm not sure you'll have to tell me after this how it manifests for you, but my anxiety when it manifests at its worst would manifest as hypochondria. So I yeah. always thought that I was dying. Yeah. And it was always my heart specifically. Mm-hmm. Like the palpitation thing or whatever. Yeah. And I always thought that I was having a heart attack. That's like, that was the message that was coming across. For those who don't experience panic attacks or something, as far as I understand from everybody that I know who's had them, there's always one or two things that your brain repeatedly tells you is going on. Like a friend of mine, his is always, it's his throat. Mm-hmm. His throat's closing or something. Yep. What was, what was yours? It was, a, I think with the same friend we're talking about, but uh, yeah, it was like when um, he was having his, I would tell him mine. And then it's almost like, it's the same thing, but it's, it is pretty much different for everybody, but it was the, the throat thing, like a tight throat thing. Um, <clears throat> mine mainly was like my vision. My vision would get kind of like hazy, like tunnel vision. Mm-hmm. And I'd get like this ringing in my ear and then my arm would kind of um, not go numb, but like get like tingly, I guess. Or like when I, I'd sweat, you know, I'd feel like my chest was heavy, um, that kind of stuff. But now it's more of just the, you know, I feel like I'm going to pass out. It just cuts straight to the chase now. Yeah, now it's like, ah, screw all the other shit. Let's just, let's just mess up the vision. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, it's it, it sucks, but, you know, you deal with it. Just got to get through it. Do you think that, going back to what you said about Spider teaching you about personas on stage, do you think that that, being able to put on a persona also helps in that situation because you don't have to be yourself? You know, it does because I've met a lot of uh, musicians where they feel more comfortable being that person on stage because they can leave it there. I think, who was it? Was it a comedian or someone? Maybe Robin Williams. But someone was like, it's easier to accept that because you leave it up there. That's where that is. And now when you're off, you're like your own person. You're, you're you. I forgot who said that. That kind of relates back to what you were kind of saying about the Superman Clark Kent thing. Yeah, yeah. Like, I'm not on tour. That's there. I leave that there. Yeah, but it's still there. It's still in the back of your mind. You're like, oh, man, I want to go on tour so bad. <laughs> yeah, you don't want to give up the cape, right? No. I mean, there's been a, a few times where I almost did. But, I mean, it's just, it's, it's, music is, uh, and I've said this in the past, is like, music is super therapeutic for me. It's, uh, you know, for anybody, you know, and. Um, art in general, whatever you do, it, it's you know it's therapeutic. Some people like to paint. Some people like to just drive their car and listen to music. Like if I don't write music, if I don't touch a guitar in a week, I freak out. That's that's what actually brings up something that I my favorite thing that you do, which I imagine is therapeutic and maybe the most personal for you. Correct me if I'm wrong, but that's the stuff you do as balancing the lion. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's my favorite music that you've ever made. Oh, thank you. Appreciate that. And do you, you want to explain kind of what that is? Yeah. Um, so Bouncing Online is my solo project or, uh, you know, it's basically when I have time 
between whatever project I'm working on. If I'm not doing anything, it's the reason why it's called balancing a lion is because um, when I was a kid, it was like lion rhymes with Ryan. And uh, so balancing a lion is basically, it's me trying to balance my life in between these endeavors. So it's almost like purgatory, but like, it's just the music that I make that's kind of there that needs to get out that I don't really care if it's like gets big or like, you know, I'm not expecting to like go on tour with it or anything. It's just more of a, a release for me, but it's just fun because there's no, I've, you know, I, I, I write it by myself and I just, it's fun. Cause I'll ask my friends, like my roommates, like, what do you think of this? Like, you know, they're like, Oh, it's cool. It's just fun to like, you know, create something and from nothing, you know, and then you, Oh, it's a song. It's cool. And it's atmospheric, so there's no no vocals you know, or technical song structure in the sense that, you know, verse, chorus, verse, right? Right. There's Well, I mean, I try not to because with Strata, for the longest time, it's like I always had to make room for Eric to, like, sing and stuff. So it, I was... And all the bands I listened to were very, like, you know, kind of structured. But um, there are some elements of, like, oh, this could be a verse and then this could be the chorus. But yeah, for the most part, I try to make it not uh, like formulated, just kind of like go wherever and not care. And how's that experience between the two? I mean, obviously, you've got, like you said, the, the Strata stuff is is very structured because it's, I mean, essentially at its heart, there's a pop structure, right? You know, verse, chorus, achieve a certain emotional effect. Mm-hmm. Um, Climax and then, yeah. Bridge, yeah, bridge of some sort probably. Um, but then with this, you can kind of just drift. What's that like as a as a writer to be able to go between those two? It's you know, freeing because you you know you can whatever you can't do in this project, you can do whatever the hell you want in this one. And not to say that I can't do that in Strata because um, that's the thing too is like working with Power Man, working doing the balancing stuff. It's kind of shaping where Strata could go, I guess. Or whatever project I do, it's like I'm I'm exploring different avenues of uh, music, which instead of saying oh, I'm just this kind of guitar player, yeah, maybe we should explain too that Strata is not just a band of the past. You guys are working on stuff still, right? It was like 2014. Like Eric and I kind of worked things out, and we kind of got back together and um, played a couple shows and stuff, and decided to uh, do music again because it's been so long and. Uh, I, I basically, when I was, because I ended up writing a record with Power Man, the, the recent one that's out, I forgot, uh, it's called New Wave, but uh, insert plug here. Uh, but uh, <laughs> that helped me kind of like grow out of what I was doing in the past. So I started writing, I wrote like basically a whole album and, you know, I showed the guys and they're like, oh, this is awesome. Let's, you know, let's do something with it. And we play a few of those songs live, but now it's like, because of all the avenues I've taken, I'm kind of like, like Eric and I will hang out and we're like, dude, but we'll send songs to each other back and forth over text message. Like, Hey, check this song out. So it changes every day. <laughs> like the style, because you know, we've, when we came out at the end of the world, we, we it did sound nothing like the first record. So it's kind of like with this new record, where it's like, well, we don't want to make an end of the world again. We don't want to make the first record again. We want to be do something different, and so we kind of like scratch that whole all the those songs and kind of starting from scratch. And we try a different avenue, and then we scratch all those. So yeah, we're it's it's a process, and people always ask like when I go on tour, like hey, you're in Strata, I'm like yeah, they're like oh, what are you guys doing? I'm like oh, just working on music, you know. But it's it's taking a moment. It's not going to be like I don't think it's going to be like a tool thing where it's going to take us like 25 years, hopefully not, but <laughs> <laughs> well, it's like, uh, I think going back to misperceptions that people have too, it's, you know, there's, there's the bands that, that seem to be able to just churn out album after album. Um, and I don't know what that experience is like, but like most of the bands, and I think you and I uh, share a lot of the bands, at least when we were younger, most of the bands that I had the most respect for, would take like sometimes seven years between albums. Yeah. Well, I mean, life gets in the way, right? I mean, and a lot of these bands that turn records out in like, you know, months or a year or whatever, they don't, they probably don't have 
jobs or whatever, but or they have enough money that they've made in the past where they can they can slowly work on music. Where with you know a band like us, it's like everyone's got jobs, everyone's busy. I'm on tour doing you know teching stuff or whatever, and then Eric has like the invisible thing and you know his projects or limousines or whatever, and you know everyone's just super busy trying to afford to live here, you know, <laughs> but the one thing that always brings us back is the the friendship that we have. And that's always been a strong point with us is that, you know, Harag, Eric and I, you know, we've been through a lot together and, you know, it's, that's something that you can't take away. So, I mean, it's, we'll always have that. What was that experience? I mean, obviously I was around for that, but people listening mm-hmm. weren't, you know, you guys, you, you, when, when Strata broke up originally, yeah. um, you guys had a falling out, personal falling out, and you didn't talk really for years. Mm-hmm. What was that like mending that? Not only, not from necessarily the perspective of a van, but like personally, someone that you spent that much time with, and then you spent all these years not talking to. What was that experience like to bring that and to mend that? It was hard. I mean, because, you know, you've gone through all this stuff, you know, on tour and like at home or whatever. And, um, it was, I mean, Strato, well, downside, as you know, is like the very beginning of it all. And it was like the first big band I was in where it's like, oh, this is actually going somewhere. Like, we didn't think it was going <clears> to <throat> do anything. We're just like playing shows. And, you know, I always had these images of us playing like big arenas and stuff. You know, who doesn't as an artist or a musician? But um, yeah, when it ended, it was like, whoa, this is, this is it. And, you know, I'll never forget like when he quit. Um, I'm sorry, when he left, which at the time, you know, I kind of took it as a slap in the face, but like later on, we mended everything. It was like, okay, I see what happened, like what you were going through. Like, yeah, it was the best thing. And I told him it was the best thing for you to quit at that moment because you needed to for yourself and to get better or whatever. But um, got a phone call from um, the head of the label because when he left, they were like, try and find a new singer. Maybe you guys can like continue with Strata. And to me, like, I was like, ah, I don't know about that. Cause like, it's like you, the Beatles or Zeppelin, like you take any member out and they're not the same. Like right. one of my favorite bands that I, you know, we all grew up listening to dredge, like without any member of that band, it's not dredge. You take anyone out and it's, it's not dredge. So I was just like, ah, maybe we should change the name. Maybe we should, but they're like, no, no, find another singer. And you guys keep writing music and we'll see what happens. So, we kept going with that, with you know, Harag, Adrian, and I, and um, found a singer and this guy from Canada, and he came out. And then he's like, oh, I'm getting back with my girlfriend. I got moved back north or back up to Canada. And we're like, oh, okay, well. So he did that. And then we kept trying. And then I get a, a voicemail from the head of the label saying, hey, you know, this is not working out. Um, you know, Eric was Strata, you know, because he was the voice of Strata, basically. So we're, you know, we're letting you guys go and so it was like uh what no explanation just that and so that made me more upset and kind of bummed out and then i'll I'll never forget like uh working fedex because adrian got me the job at fedex and i'm like driving delivering you know and eric and i haven't really talked because he's like you know i'm doing his thing and um i'm in my truck and i hear this song and I hear the voice and I go, oh man, that sounds like someone I know. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, it, I think it was very busy people. And I was like, oh, that's Eric. I just pulled the truck over and I was like, oh, shit. <laughs> that had to be a weird feeling. It was a really weird feeling. But I mean, everything happened the way it should have. I, I don't regret anything. I don't, you know, I don't wish anything were different. Um, I care more about Eric as a human being than I do as a, um, you know, a bandmate. Not, not to say I, I don't, you know, respect him as a bandmate. I do. It's just as a person, an individual, like that's more important to me than anything. So, And what did it take for you to come to realize that again? Because obviously when you guys were upset with each other, you forgot. What did, what did it take to, for you to get back to that place where you could realize that you valued him as a person? Coffee just had just hung out and had coffee like one day we just you know i forgot who reached out to who but i like a lot of our friends were the same like 
you know, you and everyone else, like we'd always hang out at like his house for the parties or whatever. And he just, he was there. So it's like, we were, you know, it's one of those things like a breakup when you're with a girl who's like friends with everybody. It's like, Oh, she's going to be there. Great. <laughs> <laughs> Which we've all had that moment. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it was just like, Oh, well this is, you know, we're kind of entwined in the same life. So just from seeing him, you know, slowly we started to like, hey, hey. And that was it. <laughs> but we just slowly started like talking and then having those memories of the past. We like kind of like talk to each other about it and laugh. And like I said, it's just that friendship is super, is stronger than anything. So, you know, we just, you know, Harag and I always still, we still talk and everything. So, but uh, yeah, we just, I think one day we were just like, hey, do you want to, go get something to eat. He's like, yeah, yeah. So we went to, um, it was Chipotle by my studio. And uh, he's like, we should go play some old stuff again. I was like, really? He's like, yeah, it'd be kind of fun. Just mess around in the studio. I was like, well, my studio is like down the street. It's like, oh, okay, well, let's, let's go over there. And it's funny because the studio we're in now is the exact same room that when we were all hanging out at the coffee shop. And I think I asked Jeff, or you or somebody. I was like, hey, does anyone know a singer? Like, yeah, I know this guy named Eric. And But Eric and I, from that coffee shop, came here in this exact room, like in 98, I think. <laughs> so it's kind of like full circle. Um, but yeah, so we came here, we jammed, I think it was like Come With Therapy and something else. And it was that moment where it was like, this, we finished and it was kind of like, nothing was said. And our friend Eric... Carlos was with us and he was, he actually took a picture. It's on my Instagram. But uh, there's that moment where we're both just standing there like, wow, that was cool. <laughs> it's like remembering something that you'd forgotten. Yeah. Um, again, it goes back to that friend, that connection, that friendship connection of, you know, you, things happen, but, you know, you just kind of get over it and move on. Like we're all older now and we understand that, like, life gets in the way or whatever and all that stuff. We kind of just get more mature. Do you think that it's possible for people to be in a band and do well and not have that friendship? I mean, look at the Rolling Stones. Supposedly they hate each other. Yeah, there's, again, there's a few bands I know where, you know, they can't stand each other, but they do what they do because they built their business on it. It's just like any CEO. It's like you might hate your vice president, you might hate your coworker, but at the end of the day, you're only there from eight to five, and after that, you could you know do whatever you want. But when you grow something that big, it's kind of hard to just walk away from it. So you, some guys do have to put up with that. But there's you know there's certain bands where like each member will have their own bus. They won't talk to each other. Um, they get they do the show thing, they put on their happy face, they do it, and then when they're done, they're back on their bus. And that brings up an interesting question too. You know, the the main blanket reason that we see bands break up for artistic differences. Mm-hmm. What is that experience like writing songs? Because as Strata, I'm not sure you'll have to tell me what the experience is with the other bands with Beta State and Power Man, but writing as a group and having basically equal say what is it like when you start battering heads in the studio it can get pretty intense because you know everyone is pretty emotionally involved so one person might think like well this is where it should go and the other guy's like no 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 it needs to go this way it needs to you know needs to put this this part needs to be here um so you do fight a lot you do have to um come to some sort of agreement but it's the way you go about it. Like you could say, no, this is my part. Like I wrote this, I spent five hours on this part. This part's going in the song. Or you could be like, well, if you don't like it, is there something I can do to maybe make it work? You know, there's that compromise you got to have. Cause uh, that's one of the reasons I left beta state was because I didn't feel like my input was all being put in. And uh, I actually wanted to go heavier. <laughs> so I was just like, well, this isn't for me. But, uh, you know, and that wasn't really... It's one of those things too, like, it wasn't really 
this big thing. So I could, I, I walked away from it when I did because it wasn't, you know, although, you know what, not to be a hypocrite, but I guess if, even if it was big, I see, I don't know. I don't know if I would have walked away from it. I probably would have. <laughs> Difficult decision to make. It is. I mean, you don't really know these things until you're in them. Yeah. Like it seems crazy that Mick Jagger and Keith Richards tour together and supposedly can't stand each other. Really? So how much money they have, you know, how much money they're making. It's, it's hard to balance those things. I think. Yeah. That's, I didn't know they didn't like each other. It's the rumor. I don't know whether it's true. Apparently I've only read, um, Keith Richards autobiography. (laughs) Apparently in, in Mick Jagger's autobiography, he just kind of rips into Keith Richards for huge sections of it. Oh, okay. Um, well, I mean, shit. When you're that old, and you know that, like the Rolling Stones are huge. What do you, what do you, what are you gonna do next? <laughs> right. You, it's not like Keith Richards is gonna go start another band. Right. I mean, he could. I know he does have another like bluesy band. I was watching this documentary on him on Netflix. Um, Under the influence one. Uh, yeah. So good. It's really good. I think that's when, because I, I remember when I jammed with you in the studio a while back. You had this like, yeah, it was like super inspiring because it was like a different tuning he uses and just jamming with you like the tones you were getting and i was like what <laughs> for people who don't know listening he's like my guitar person every i think every would you say every guitar player has like one they're like that's my number one yeah i mean yeah yeah absolutely who's yours i know it's changed Ooh. <laughs> i know that for a while you would have probably said santana yeah back in the day when i was a kid um, john lennon at one point john lennon, yeah uh you know right now it's um it changes. I mean, if if you want to go on a big scale, it's like right now in this moment, it's like David Gilmore or uh, well, David Gilmore's always been a big influence of mine for the ambient side of things. And now on the rock side, it was like Jimmy Page and The Edge from U two, um, and even on a local level, like I feel like I'm more inspired in a local scene more than what's out there because all that old stuff is already there. It's like in the back of my mind, but. Uh, a friend of mine named Alicia, she's in this band called Dokoe. It's like a instrumental post-rock, but she has all these weird tunings and like every day she'll come in and show me this like new, and she practices down the hall for me, but she'll show me these different tunings and it's like, that inspires me. And then this band called Woven, you know, or not Woven, uh, Wander. They're instrumental as well. So it's like, you see all these different things. You're like, man, this inspires me now. But when I don't have anything that catches my eye like on a local level or on the radio, it always goes back to like Gilmore or Page, you know, even back to like Bush, like old school stuff. I am a big gear nerd. I just fell in love with a uh, a new amp that I like to use, Um, which goes brings me back to like when we jammed together, Mm -hmm. we brought in this amp. I think I forgot what amp it was of yours. Line six. Line six. And I used to have this horrible, like, I don't want to say hatred, but I was like, oh, it's a line six. Oh, whatever. But um, it's, 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 it's not, it's digital, right? It, that's right. It's digital. It's not analog. And I'm kind of like, you know, unless something can prove me wrong, I'm, I'm open, but I've always been like a tube head guy and stuff. And you brought this amp in and your guitar uh, and this weird tuning or whatever. And you played a chord and I was like, I was like on the drums. I look over and I was like, wait, what is that? What's going on? <laughs> yeah, I was just blown away. I was like, wait a minute. That's a line six. What's really in there? <laughs> I play around. I find little little pockets. I do not understand gear. But it was it's a line six spider jam. I have to look over across the room and remember. And I was playing, uh, is it open G or open? Yeah, I think it's open G tuning. It's Keith mm-hmm. Richards tuning on a Telecaster. And it's yeah. a wire telecaster, not even a, an expensive one. As I was gonna say, that's where you have the one up because people who have who are kind of knowledgeable in gear, it's kind of they like go on forums and they read these things. They go, "Oh, well, this person, this high up person says like this this pedal shouldn't work with this." But you are the kind of guy where you'll get this pedal and you don't know, and you'll put it together and you're like, "That's a cool sound." And then everyone's like, "Wait, how are you doing that?" And then you you know you show them and they're like, "Wait, that shouldn't work. That shouldn't be like that." Why? What? Like my weird trick of turning the note tone tone knob down to like thirty percent. Yeah, exactly. Like I never, I just experienced, uh, not experienced, but I just 
did that by accident the other day because my I rolled my tone off instead of the volume. And then when I was recording these new um, strata stuff or balancing whatever, I turned my distortion on. I hit a chord and I was like, oh, what's wrong? My, wait, that sounds kind of cool. <laughs> yeah, you get a nice crunch. It's it's just a weird... It's a different kind of crunch. Yeah, it's... it's it gives it's, it a fullness in a weird way. Yeah, it's not like clear, but it's it still kind of cuts through, but it's uh, it's just rounder and it's like that really... 60s kind of like broken speaker it's like your amps like dying you know like a neil young thing exactly oh yeah um what i was going to tell you from that recording well it wasn't a recording session jam session i you were you were looking at my amp and i was, when when bailey came in and he started playing drums mm-hmm. and then you took out your guitar and you guys went on this long journey of a song and just watching you go from sound to sound and seeing you know where you're going and what you're doing, it just blew me away because it's this level of understanding that I just don't have. Yeah, it, it's just, I mean, you're talking about all the pedals and stuff, right? Like the different tones and... Yeah, but even specifically like your your knowledge of understanding how to put it all together. I mean, how did you, how did you even begin to learn all of that? Just learning Zeppelin, Beatles, you know, you, uh, when I was a kid, I just, I had my dad's old vinyls and I just put them on and... Like I didn't have a teacher, so I just kind of messed around and, you know, you find these chords that work well together or something that like, um, that moves you like a certain progression. You're like, this is my favorite progression because it moves me and it makes me feel a certain way. You just kind of, you jam around it, but then you go to those chords and then you kind of dance around it some more. Half the time, I don't know what I'm doing. It looks like it. It really does. Yeah, it's like whatever. If, if I'm jamming, you're. It's it's so so crazy to watch musicians jam because you don't know what's going to happen next. And I kind of love that about music. Like certain bands where you're like, oh, here comes a chorus, but then they go into a completely different part. And you're mm-hmm. like, hmm, I wasn't expecting that. Dredged it a lot. Dredged that a lot. Yeah, which is really, yeah, right. A lot of people like them, and well, I don't know why they like them, but. That's their own thing. I, I liked them because of that and like, you know, the tone that they were getting and just how different they were and how big they could sound with just one guitar player. And let's go back to the beginning. You were talking about this amp. I think we went in a different direction before you even talked about the amp. Yeah. Uh, so I've always been a boogie guy. I've been playing Mesa Boogies for, I don't know how long now, probably, well, since 98 probably. And I've over the years, I've experimented with other amps and stuff but like back then that was you know the new middle era so it's like everyone had a boogie unless you're from sacramento then you had a marshall um (laughs) (laughs) which i have nothing against because the amp i'm talking about right now is actually a marshall but um it was you know i've always tried to find these tones and shape them with the mess that i have and i can never get that that tone and Tom Morello said it in an interview. He's like, yeah, I've had this Marshall 800 forever or whatever he uses. I think it's an 800 or 900. But he's like, I didn't like the way it sounded, but I didn't have money to like buy another amp. So I made it work. And that was, that's the sound that is in every Rage song, basically. So yeah, I didn't have money. So I had this one amp and I was just like, kind of same mentality, like, let's make it work. Um, But in the process, I've tried other amps and they just never sounded as big. But, um, I got a uh, a Marshall. It's a 1979 Marshall, which is the year I was born. So I was like, "Oh, this amp might sound good. Might sound you know unpredictable." Uh, but uh, yeah, I just plugged it in yesterday, and I was working on some stuff. And so I run a Mesa Boogie Stiletto right now. I've run the Directifier in the past, and this Marshall just oh, and I I bought a Strat recently. It's like a David Gilmore kind of clone. Uh, and there's something magical about it. It's just, it just, I picked it up at the store. I was a stubborn musician and I played it and I was like, you know, unplugged. It sounded really good. So I told him to hold it and I came back the next day and picked it up and I came home and I played it and I was like, oh man, this thing sounds so good. And then I was like, hmm, what would it sound like with a Marshall? So I plugged it in and dude, it was like, like I text Eric, I was like, oh my God, dude, this Marshall and the Strat sounds so good. Because I've never been a Strat guy. I've always been a humbucker, um, you know, thick sounding 
sound, but you can get that sound out of a Strat if it's you know you have the right pedals and stuff. Yeah, because you well before you had Schecter's and then recently PRS, right? Yeah, I, um, when we started, I had a uh, we had a friend at Schecter, so I was using those, and then I bought. Um, this Les Paul that I have. Did I tell the story about this Les Paul? I feel like I've told... No, but this is the right place to tell it. Okay, cool. So, long time ago, when we were doing showcases, and for those of you who don't know what showcases are, it's when a band, you basically get on a stage in an empty room and play in front of a bunch of, like, label heads who just sit there and go, yeah, this is great. Yeah, this is horrible. Um, So, they basically decide they want to, like, they want to sign you, which, that's their job. So, uh, that's how it works. But uh, we were showcasing, and we were—I think we were showcasing for Warner Brothers. And I—I I was just so fed up. I was sick of it. I hated it. Like we showcased for like all these labels, like you name it, we probably showcased for them. But it was one of the songs, and like towards the end, I just got fed up, and I launched my fucking guitar across the room. I just like took it off and launched it and walked off stage. Kind of a prima donna move, <laughs> but I would. Dude, I was like so bummed. I was just like, man, like, who are these people to, to determine our future? You know, like, not to take anything away from them because it's their job, like I said, but like, I was just so bummed. I was like, man, like, they all said the same thing, you know? And anyway, I threw my guitar. So a friend of ours was like, well, there's a guitar guy who could fix it over here. So I went to this guy named Matt Barato, I think, in. North Hollywood, and he had this Les Paul hanging on the wall. He had two of them, one that he built and then this other one that he fixed. Um, and my Schefter was kind of like, eh, kind of out of commission. But Les Paul, Jimmy Page, I was like, oh man, how much is it? You selling that thing? He's like, yeah, so I found it, a thousand bucks. And uh, at the time, I borrowed money from our manager. And I'll you know, pay him back later. It was the guitar. I think it was, he said it was owned by Danny Lohner from Nine Inch Nails. Mm. And it was smashed at a Nine Inch Nails concert, like on stage. And he rebuilt the neck. He fixed the neck and um, he ended up selling it to me. And how did it sound? Uh, big. <laughs> <laughs> like every Les Paul, right? Like every Les Paul, yeah. I've, I've swapped so many pickups in that thing, but I always go back to the JB. Uh, it's the Seymour Duncan, Jeff Beck. You're putting those in your, in your PRSs too? No, PRS is just stock. It's just whatever came with the the guitars, what I've been using forever, and I haven't changed them out. My the white PRS that I use forever, it's like my kid, it's my baby. Like played in a lot, throwing that thing across stages, and I used to be pretty crazy, but uh, now that I'm older, I'm kind of more like, wow, this is really expensive. <laughs> what do you have inside the Strat? Uh, I don't know. I that's the thing is like. <laughs> I, I was. I read these forums of like you know John Frusciante uses this and you know David Gilmore uses a Fat Fifty in the neck with the SL Five in the bridge and I think a Sixty Nine in the middle. So I buy all these pickups and I install them, and I go, man, this sounds nothing like that. I like when I buy a guitar and it's already got pickups in it, and it just mm-hmm. sounds good. It's almost like I don't know, just it, it was made for that guitar. So why change? That's how I feel when you're telling the story about the Strat. For people who are listening who don't play guitar or maybe any other instrument, there's a weird experience. Sometimes you just bond with an instrument and you know that, like, you know, you pick it up. For me, like the Telecaster we were talking about earlier, when I picked that up and I just started playing with it, I had gone in there to buy a more expensive guitar. This is only like a, I think it was on sale for like $349 or something. I went in to buy a $1,000 guitar. Mm-hmm. And I started playing that guitar and I'm like, nope, this is the one. Yeah. Yeah. You just know. That's the thing. You feel it. You just you pick it up and it just feels right in your hands. And uh, you just, you play a chord and you go, that's, that's it. That sounds really good. And like, you know, I didn't, I didn't go into the store to buy a guitar. Like my friend, Eric and I, we always go to like guitar center, guitar showcase. Um, We're talking or, about Eric Carlos, right? Eric Carlos. Yeah. But you know, it's just, we just go to these places and then, you know, I wasn't expecting it. Like I'm, I'm actually looking to get a, uh, Ernie Ball makes these guitars called Stingrays, which are really cool because they kind of look like a Jaguar almost, but mm. with their, their take on it. But this, I saw this Strat and I've, I've always wanted one, um, that looked like David Gilmore, but you know, you got to buy the parts and you got to put together. And this guitar was super cheap, dude. It was like 400 bucks. 
And uh, I was like, what? Hmm. Plug it in. Play a couple chords on it. And I was like, yeah, uh, I'll be back tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> and what, of all your pedals, I know you are a super, super pedal man. What, of all your pedals, which ones are essential that you just can't live without? You mean of all 15 delays I have on my board? <laughs> um, probably the Strymon Timeline. I love that thing. And what's that do? The delay pedal. So it's got a different, a bunch of delay engines. You can get like tape echo. Um, you can get like weird lo-fi sounds. You can get a digital delay that kind of emulates like a 2290 TC Electronic, which is what the Edge used back in the day. A lot of like 80s guys use those because it was a super clear digital delay. Like the note you hit, it's exact same sound. It doesn't degrade. It doesn't have any warble or any of that stuff. But you can get that with this pedal. You can like, it takes all those old delay pedals or like boxes that you can't really take on tour because they're not really reliable. Or if you don't have a lot of money to like get them fixed, you can get that in this box and you can like tweak it. You got to kick the pedal and it's like, whoops, that's fine. Don't worry about it, you know, kind of thing. So it's a digital pedal instead of an analog. It is, but they the thing that I love about Strymon is um, they uh, it's a, they use a DSP processor, so it's super. Uh, this is going to get techy here, but I don't know how to like I don't know how to explain it. But I think I read that the the chip that's in your car that runs your motor and your gas and all this like everything in the modern cars they have that in the pedal. So you can imagine like. Wow. That kind of processing power for a car is in a pedal. But um, they have it where you have a mix knob. But whereas most pedals, when you use the mix knob, you're mixing how much of that effect is going into the amp. So the more wet you turn it up, the less of the dry signal you have. Whereas with Strymon, they have a thing where it's all analog. So no matter where you tweak it, it's you're still getting your guitar tone with the mix in of your effect. Is that interesting? Yeah, that's very interesting. Yeah, so it's in a way it's almost analog, but it's digital. So you get the benefits of both. Exactly, yeah. But it just sounds warm. Like I've tried, like my original delay pedal was a uh, Electro Harmonics Merryman. I love that thing because it's, another thing that sucks about it is it's like a big box. So it takes up a lot of footprint on your pedal board. But the sound it gives, it's like this warm, angelic kind of nasty delay almost like it's got a lot of noise to it and i tried a bunch of pedals and i couldn't find anything that emulated that because i tend to i run my delays straight into the amp which is like a big no-no you're not supposed to you're supposed to use the effects loop but you know rules were meant to be broken so (laughs) and correct me if i'm wrong like one of the big differences between analog pedals and digital pedals besides the guts inside is Essentially, a digital pedal is taking what's coming in and it's sampling it and altering the waveform. Yep, exactly. Whereas analog is adding to the tone. Yeah. So, oh, sorry, this drummer's probably going to start playing in a second. This is annoying. That's all right. We're almost at the end. It's like when mom walks in and you're like touching yourself. Hang on. You want interview mom? Okay. See if this helps out any better. Yeah, so the thing that's cool about analog that I like is it adds a certain noise. It adds this like, like nastiness, this you know, imperfections, I guess you'd say. Whereas digital is like you know, true bypass. Like you turn it off and it bypasses the whole pedal, and you know, you get your clean signal. Whereas analog ones, when you turn them off, they you're still running through that circuit, so it still colors your tone, and that's one thing I've built my tone off of was like without my pedal board, my amp will sound completely different because I have everything EQ'd to the pedals. What book do you think I should read next? There's a book I read a while ago called, uh, how to feel like an artist or something like that. Oh, it's Austin Cleon. Yes. That that book has actually helped me out a lot because if you're in a rut with whatever you're doing, if you're trying to start a startup or if you're trying to, do whatever it just kind of like lets you know that what you're really thinking in the back of your head is okay as far as like if you like someone's art or you like a song but you write a song that kind of sounds too much like it and you're like i don't know about that it's letting you know like no that's that's 
how it works in a sense is that you take something that inspires you, but you make it your, you put your own spin on it. Would you like to tell the audience who you are, describe yourself and plug whatever you'd like to plug social media, albums, whatever you'd like? Uh, well, my name is Ryan Hernandez. I play in Strata, sometimes Power Man when, uh, when I'm not teching for 311. Um, if you want to follow me on Instagram, it's just RY Hernandez. And uh, not everything's as bad as it seems. You know, it's like all these things that I've, I've gone through. And there's some other like darker things that I don't want to really get into because I don't know if we have time or whatever, but it's just like basically bad things happen to everybody, but it's how you look at it and how you're able to take it in and, you know, absorb it and find the positive in it. You just kind of got to spin it. It's really the only way to get by. And uh, just know that everything is just a moment. You know, one of the best ways to support a podcast is to go over to the podcast app that you're using, especially if it is Apple Podcasts, and take five minutes to sit down and rate and review the show. Just give it a star rating, give it a paragraph letting people know what value you get out of the show. Because that's how we communicate to the world what this show is about if they haven't listened to it before. And it's also how we communicate to guests or possible guests what the show that is inviting them on is about and what people think of it. So please take the time to rate and review us.